Hey, if you are a fan of romantic movies and love films with beautiful cinematography, then you have to go see Redeeming Love in theaters on January 21st of 2022, based on the international best-selling novel by Francine Rivers. The movie takes place in 19th century California and follows the life of a girl named Angel, who was the most notoriously sought-after girl in the hopeless gold mining town of Paradise. Right as she was about to give up on finding freedom, Angel meets Michael and encounters a love that's unlike anything she's ever experienced. But shame from her past causes Angel to run away from the very thing she's always wanted. As Michael sets out to find her, Angel discovers there's no brokenness that love can't heal. Redeeming Love featuring Abigail Cowan, Nina Dobrov, Eric Dane, and Frumke Jansen. I had to learn how to pronounce that it's rated pg-13 and premieres january 21st in theaters nationwide so bring a friend or even your significant other to see redeeming love for more information or how to find tickets to a theater near you visit redeeminglovemovie.com that's redeeminglovemovie.com hey what's up welcome to another episode of the matthew west podcast i'm your host matthew west and as always Just like the song says, I really hope you like it. Welcome to the first podcast episode for the month of November. Where has the time gone? It felt like 2020 began with a crawl. I mean, all of us on our hands and knees, just scraping by. At least that's how it felt some of the time. And now time is flying by. My goodness, the year is almost over. The holidays are here. I just finished a whirlwind tour with Casting Crowns on the Only Jesus Tour. I want to make sure I get the chance to thank everyone. Any of you listening out there who came to see one of the 20 concerts, that tour was only 20 months delayed. 20 months, but it was it was worth the wait. We had an incredible time on the road. And the concerts are going to keep continuing. I've got a few dates in November. Go to MatthewS.com to find out where I'm going to be. But then December comes along and we're doing eight special Christmas concerts on the We Need Christmas Tour. Why would I do a Christmas tour this year? Well, because I want to spread Christmas cheer, my friends, but also because I just released a brand new Christmas album. It just came out October 29th, and I hope you've had a chance to listen to it already. Some of you might be more uh, purists in the sense that you refuse to listen to Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. To you, I say bah humbug. But after Thanksgiving, be sure to give it a listen. The We Need Christmas album. Oh, I loved making that album, and I hope you've loved listening to it. We just released the music video for it as well, and we had so much fun creating a winter wonderland inside this warehouse. You'll have to go check it out on YouTube to... uh, to truly appreciate it, but I hope it gets you in the Christmas spirit here. And of course, I'm skipping way ahead. We know, we know that there's something that happens before Christmas. It's Thanksgiving, my friends. And when I think of Thanksgiving, I think of this song. There are so many songs about Christmas. The reindeer, the lights, and the gifts. We sing chestnuts are roasting and marshmallows toasting. And here comes old jolly Saint Nick. Now don't get me wrong, I shall love all those songs But one holiday gets left out You see, no one remembers a song for November But that's gonna change starting now Gobble, gobble, one Gobble, gobble, two Gobble, gobble, me Gobble, gobble, you Listen to me now That's right. That's the song I put out last year. I added it to 
the We Need Christmas album. Because <laughs> I thought, why not? Why not just put a Thanksgiving song on a Christmas album? But in addition to that, we added some brand new Gobble Gobble swag, some Gobble Gobble shirts. We got Gobble Gobble shirts for the whole family. They're selling like crazy. I guess you could say people are flocking to them. Okay. I'll stop being a turkey. Um, But if you want to get your Gobble Gobble shirts, we're going to be announcing a pretty cool photo contest, and I'm going to give you a chance to send a picture of you and your family or whoever wearing your Gobble Gobble shirts at Thanksgiving, and I'm going to pick a winner for something pretty cool. So make sure you don't delay on your holiday orders, by the way. If you're looking for any merch from my e-commerce site, go to MatthewWest.com and place those orders for the holidays as early as possible, because I don't want you to miss out on this cool Thanksgiving contest we are about to do. And hey, one more thing before we get into today's conversation with an amazing guest who's going to be such an inspiration to you. I want to tell you about something important that my ministry, Pop We, is doing, and we want to invite you into this. You know, we've been talking about what it looks like to live a no-what-if life, and as we turn towards the holidays, one of the ways that we can live a no-regrets and a no-what-if life is by living lives of generosity. And our ministry is doing something really cool. Uh, Speaking of gobble gobble, we want to give a gobble gobble away. And what I mean by that is there's a whole lot of people who are hungry and we can help feed the hungry here this Thanksgiving. And so Pop We is launching a Give a Gobble Gobble campaign. We are partnering with a great ministry, Samaritan's Purse. And here's what you can do. This is what we found out. A gift of $35 will feed a family for one month. A gift of $35 will help the Emergency Food Fund feed families stateside in crisis this Thanksgiving. And Samaritan's Purse they're first responders, right? All around the world and in the United States. And so we're going to partner with them and we want to encourage you to join us. Our goal is to raise $5,000, but I feel like we're going to far exceed that. So if you can join Pop We and you want to live a know-what-if life with generosity, helping to feed those, you can give a gobble gobble away by joining Pop We. Go to popwe.org and click the donate button. And there's a specific section where you can choose to give a gobble gobble. Now we also have other ways that you can give. You can actually become a monthly Pop We partner. We'll talk a little bit more about that as the holidays come, but I specifically wanted to put that on your radar. As we get ready for gobble gobble, let's be sure to give a gobble gobble away and help feed those who are in need. All right, my friends, let's get into today's show. My guest at the Story House is an incredibly bright mind. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's an author. He's had the honor of working to help Christians connect the gospel to their work. In November 2017, he wrote and published a book called To Create, A Biblical Invitation to Create, Innovate, and Risk, which became an instant national bestseller. Uh, Since then, his team has helped more than 3 million Christians do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and for the good of others. Most recently, he published a book called Master of One, Find and Focus on the Work You Were Created to Do. Listen, we're continuing on this theme. We're going to keep driving it home. How do you live a know-what-if life? He's got a brand new book. We're celebrating the release of this new book, and he's going to be sharing some really important biblical principles, seven biblical principles for being purposeful, present, and wildly productive. His brand new book is called Redeeming Your Time. We are going to have an awesome time. Let's go to the story house with my friend, Jordan Rayner. When I want instruction in a certain area of life, like if I need help with my Mac, I want to go to the Genius Bar, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to ask the guy at the drive through at McDonald's, right? I want to go to the source, right? If I need marriage counseling, I want somebody who I, I look to and go, okay, they're doing some things right. And so if I want to learn how to be purposeful and productive in my time, I want to make sure that I'm listening to somebody who is living that out and walking that out with great success. And I'm going to tell you, reading your bio, Jordan Rayner, and hearing, reading about all the things that you are doing and accomplishing, I thought, okay, if anybody's going to write a book called Redeeming Your Time, (laughs) Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive, 
then I think it's Jordan Rayner because leading into uh, this episode, I read your your biography and you are highly productive, highly purposeful, and uh, or I should say wildly productive, like the subtitle of your book. So all that to say is I'm very excited to talk to you today. I also want to applaud you on something. I'm, I'm a songwriter, so I'm very big on the use of alliteration. So yeah, the fact that you that. did biblical principles, yeah, principles, powerful, present, and wildly productive. I was like, this guy's a preacher's kid or something. <laughs> I'm not, shockingly, but I, I, sh- I should have been. I should have been. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you. And uh, I think what you have to share today is going to be really inspiring. I promise I'm going to let you get a word in, but I want to just offer one last bit of context and then I'm going to turn you loose, okay? We've been in this season where I've had a song out in this past year, in 2021, called What If?, And the message of the song says, what if today's the only day I got? I don't want to waste it if it's my last shot. You know, no regrets. In the end, I want to know I got no what ifs. And so in really prayerfully thinking about what kind of voices do I want on this podcast to help people really dive deep and figure out, because I think deep down, we all have this longing to make the most of the time that we get here on this earth. And that is really one of the big reasons why I was so excited to have you on the show. So, so welcome officially. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, it's a perfect setup. I love what if, uh, you know, it, it ties in really well with Ephesians five sixteen, which is where the title redeeming your time comes from, right? It comes from Paul's words in Ephesians five sixteen. Uh, after expounding right. upon basically the core tenets of the gospel in Ephesians chapters one through four, Paul reminds his readers of their status as dearly loved children of God in Ephesians 5.1. And then he goes on to say, he's answering the question, basically, what is our response to our adoption as sons and daughters of God? And he answers that in Ephesians 5.15 through 16. He says, see them that you walk carefully, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil, right? He's saying part of our response to the gospel is to be really careful and diligent about how we steward our time. Tim Keller says, quote, time stewardship is a command for believers, right? And we, we don't, this is not about redeeming our time so we can be more successful. If that's the book you're looking for, this is the wrong book for you. It's about that's good. service, that's good. right? It's about service to the Lord's agenda which is his glory and service of others. That's why we care about redeeming our time so that we could do more good works for others and in the process glorify the Father. And you talk about, so really the premise of the book being, you say that Jesus is the solution to our perennial time management challenges. Claim, huh? I don't know any... <laughs> I love that. I I don't know anybody who doesn't in some way, shape or form struggle with time management. That is a huge struggle for me. A lot of times I I feel like I'm a a Christmas sweater and and everybody's pulling different yarns at the And it's an ugly sweater, by the way. But I feel like I'm just getting pulled at in so many different directions. So I think that is a bold claim because I've never really thought about Jesus being the perennial solution to our time management challenges. What do you mean by that? All right. So let me unpack it. So I, I mean two things. First, Jesus offers us peace before we do anything to solve our time management problems, right? If you, Matthew, it sounds like you've read some time management books. I've read, I don't know, 50 throughout my career. Nearly every time oh, management yeah. expert says that the path to peace, to the path to stop feeling like people are yanking on your sweater is found in implementing their system, right? This is basically workspace productivity. It says that if you do exercises X, Y, and Z, then you will find peace. As Christ followers- right. We can start with the opposite premise, what I call in the book grace-based productivity, because through Christ and our adoption as children of God, we already have peace regardless of how productive we are. We could be the most unproductive people in the world, and my status as a child of God is still secure, right? So I've got that peace. That's the starting point. But I do time management exercises X, Y, and Z as a response of worship. Right? That's the difference. So yeah. that's the first way Jesus solves our time management problems. We start with peace rather than looking to practices as the driver of peace. The second way, and this is a little bit more maybe controversial, but Jesus, God, the author of time, shows us how God would manage his time. 
right? The word became flesh, John says in John 1, 14. I think we take this for granted a lot of times in the church. Jesus, omnipotent God, omniscient God, became time-bound, constrained to the same 24-hour period that we're constrained to today. But we just don't read the Gospels this way. We read them for their theology, for their ethics. We forget that they are also biographies, right? And and no, Mm. the Gospels don't show Jesus with a to-do list or an Apple Watch, but they do show him having to prioritize where he spent his time. Look at Mark chapter one. They show him dealing with wow. distractions at work and fighting for solitude. In other words, they basically show him struggling with a lot of the same things that you and I struggle with, Matthew, that our listeners struggle with. But because he was infallible God, we can assume that he managed his time perfectly. And so what I did with this book was say, okay, if you accept that Jesus was the most productive person to ever live, which I think Christian or non-Christian, hmm. it's very hard to argue against that. What do the Gospels have to say about how he managed his time? The, the practices, yeah. you know, we got to get really hypermodern, but what are the timeless principles from how he walked that we can incorporate into our lives today in the 21st century? And that's what the book is all about. These seven principles from his life uh, that led him and can lead us to be purposeful, present, and productive. If I'm being honest, I think when I'm especially busy or the things my time management challenges can be rooted in the fact that am I enough? Am I accomplishing enough? Right. And getting farther away from my identity in Christ then gets me chasing after all these other things to validate my value in the world. And so to start from that, like you called it that graced, what did you say? Grace grace based based productivity. Yeah. And so obviously Jesus knew who he was and he knew what his mission was on earth and nothing he was doing was to seek the applause of man. Is that one of the seven? I don't want to ask you to give them all away because yeah, I want I'll people give, to. Hey, I, yeah, man, I'll give it all away. Matthew, let me try on an analogy for you that you'll appreciate since you're a musician. Yeah. In chapter one, I talk about these five biblical truths about time and productivity, right? Because I think it's essential that we understand what scripture has to say about time before we could solve our time management problems. And one of those truths is that the gospel is paradoxically our ultimate source of both rest and ambition. And as a musician, I think you can appreciate this analogy. Remember American, is American Idol still on, by the way? I, don't, I, I should check this out. Is this still a thing? I don't know. It is. It's yeah. a thing. Okay. It is. I ask the same thing, though. Sometimes I'm like, I'll miss whole things of like, the, but I've noticed, I'm going to ask you something about your TV habits anyways, but uh, that's a good indication of your TV habits. But yes, it is American still a Idol, thing. <laughs> when I watched it when I was in high school, right? Uh, I always loved watching the finale. Right, the pressure is intense. You got oh. these two contenders oh, yeah. going back, whatever. And <laughs> yeah. what I loved about the finale is they would compete. The two singers would compete. They'd sing their songs. They would announce the winner, and then the winner got to sing again after they had already been declared the winner. But the countenance of that winner pre-post the announcement of the win was dramatically different. Before the winner was announced. You could tell they're nervous, they're stressed, whatever. But once they've been declared the winner, they can sing freely, openly, joyfully. That's a picture of the gospel, right? Jesus, by adopting us in his family, said, hey, you're a winner. We can hear God's word spoken at the baptism, spoken over us. We are his children whom he loves and is well-pleased in. That allows us to rest. But it also makes us ambitious because who doesn't want to go out there and live a life that makes famous the one that has given us that that absolute deep level of security. Uh, so that that's what I mean by the gospel is our source of rest and ambition. We can rest from our work, but it also makes us ambitious to do good works for the glory of God and the good of others. That is powerful. And you talk about Jesus. One of the things that he did was, and you, I love the this choice of words, descent from the kingdom of noise. And so judging by the fact that you didn't even know American Idol was still a thing, <laughs> I'm going to guess, which by the way, uh, it is still a thing, but they it's hard to hear what they're saying because they have to sing with a mask on now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just right, kidding right. But I read somewhere that you don't watch any TV or maybe you don't watch any news. Is I that, don't watch any tell news. Tell me if that's yeah, the yeah, truth. Yeah. So, no news. No news. No podcasts. Sorry, Matthew. I don't even listen to my own podcast, <laughs> right? I don't listen to podcasts. I don't read news. 
Yeah, so the principle, this is principle number three in the book from the life of Christ. Jesus, if you read the Gospels, all the time Jesus was withdrawing to lonely places, solitary places. He made it a priority to spend time alone with his own thoughts, to spend time alone in prayer with the Father, right? And today we are living in what C.S. Lewis so eloquently called in Screwtape Letters, the kingdom of noise. Our lives are noisy with nonstop news, nonstop podcasts, nonstop information. And so this whole chapter is about how do we descend from the kingdom of noise? Not entirely. I don't live my life at volume zero, maybe volume two. So that does include no news, uh, no podcast, but I do watch TV. But here's the thing about the news thing, because this is such a radical practice I found. Yeah, I'm just fascinated, especially because of what our what our nation and our world has just recently gone through. I have to make a confession. I have been heavy on the other side and it has not felt time redeeming. But at the same time, there's this weird like citizen feeling like that I need to I need to know. I, I don't know, but it but it certainly doesn't feel redeeming of my time. It is anxious anxiety building. It, totally. So let me give you let me give you a tip. See if you could try this on, Matthew. Here's the thing. I don't consume news, but I'm actually not ignorant about what's going on in the world. My secret is that I have let my friends curate the news for me. I hear about every (laughs) single thing that matters in my life, Matthew. I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. I hear about every Taylor Swift album the minute a rumor hits the internet. Wait, wait, wait. So do you have daughters then? 100%. 100%. And okay, my, so do I then. They're All my right. excuse for being a Taylor Swift fan, but yeah, I was I was a Swift, I was a Swifty before my kids. Uh, but no, listen. Oh no, you're a Swifty. I'm a Swifty, oh 100%. Gosh, that's funny. I hear about pandemics. I hear about race riots. I hear about hurricanes and Taliban uh, taking over Afghanistan. Tim Keller, one of my heroes. When Tim Keller tweeted that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, eight of my friends texted me the news within 30 minutes of it breaking. Okay. So I, I hear about everything saying, that's yeah. important to me, uh, but I don't have to spend any time wading through the 99.9% of information online that is anxiety inducing and totally irrelevant to the work I believe God's called me to do. Now, that said, there are times such as when COVID started hitting in March of 2020, where I will wade back into the kingdom of noise and go look for specific information that I need about mask mandates or school closure, whatever. But I'll tell you what, Matthew, Last March when I did that, it was amazing to me how quickly I got sucked back into the quicksand of the kingdom of noise, Mm. right? Like I found myself mindlessly scrolling through headlines about like, Hulk Hogan talking about whether or not we need a vaccine. Who cares? Who cares? But I well, spent three minutes I, reading the story. I, you know, agree to disagree. If we're going <laughs> to listen to anybody about COVID advice, it's going to be the Hulk. I mean, Jordan, I, I, you know, I hate to have a disagree. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. God love him. God love him. <laughs> okay. So then talk about that. When you got sucked into the quicksand, because I think that's another, I think that's a, the kingdom of noise is a great illustration. And the quicksand is, is another perfect illustration because it can suck you in to, you might even have meaningful intentions to learn more about something meaningful going on in our society, but then get sucked into the meaningless, right? Which is all around us. Like you said, it's, well, what does Hulk Hogan have to say about this? Like the talk about the feeling that comes over you when you found yourself getting sucked into the quicksand. What was the negative effects on you personally? I think you've probably experienced this, Matthew. It's just anxiety because it's now, there's now all these other inputs that I know are relevant to me, but are distracting to me in some way. And a lot of the headlines in news, right, are not positive headlines, right? So they make us stressed out about this world. So here's one thing I would offer. So the whole book, seven principles and 32 hyper-practical practices to help you implement the principles in the book. Chapter three alone, Descent for the Kingdom of Noise, has nine practices. One of them, I just mentioned, let your friends curate the news for you. But that's extreme for a lot of people. So let me give you something less extreme. Just stop swimming in infinity pools of content. What I mean by that are news websites that literally scroll endlessly. You just seamlessly go from story to story. Or unfortunately, on social media, 
Instagram stories, where I could just keep going and going and going and going and going. Replace infinity pools of content with finite pools of content. If you want to stay up on what's going on in the world or your community, subscribe to a news roundup, right? A five-minute podcast news roundup, right? Or whatever. Or uh, an email newsletter or something like that. Or, heaven forbid, a physical newspaper. I'm sounding like a 90-year-old now, right? But it's all the news that's fit to print, in the words of the New York Times. There's something magical about finite news, but unfortunately, the attention economy conglomerates are increasingly making our world filled with these infinity pools. If we wanted to send for the kingdom oh, of gosh, yeah, to hear God's voice, to think, to be creative, Matthew, you can attest to this as a musician, we've got to make time for stillness, for silence, for reflection. We've got to find ways to dissent from the kingdom of noise. This would be an antithetic to your premise there, but there's a documentary called The Social Dilemma. Yeah. yeah. It illustrates just the evil desire to drag us down into that quicksand and keep us there for as long as possible until they can sell us what we never knew we needed. And we're buying and buying and buying. And you know what? You're exactly right about the importance of being still. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Another translation says, and my favorite one that really speaks to me, I think there's value in translations, but it says cease striving. And, you know, I, Jordan, just so you know a little bit of how I'm wired, and this is one of the reasons why I was excited to speak to you, why I'm excited about this book and why I think this book can help me, let alone anyone listening to this podcast is, man, I don't quit. And I love being applauded. My friends and peers and people say, man, you're so productive. And, and I, and I kind of like that too much. And I, you know what I mean? And so there's no quit in me. And but it is a big challenge for me to be still. And oftentimes I have to confess that the only way I am able to actually be still is what I call experiences like Saul getting knocked off a donkey. And so one, one of those experiences for me was losing my voice and finding out I had to have vocal cord surgery. I mean, literally my career had to come to a screeching halt for me to learn what it really meant to be still. And all of a sudden I start reading about uh, the way of the heart and I start reading, uh, you know, about the importance of silence and solitude and prayer. And so I, I know how important those things are. And yet I also know that Satan knows how important they are to me and Every single day, at every turn, I feel like he's pulling at me. So I love this reminder that you're giving, the descent from the kingdom of noise. Somebody listening to that, write that down. And the other thing I think about, Jordan, it's funny because you write these books and you have this podcast and I've got this podcast and... And I think for you and I, as communicators, right? I mean, we know what God's called us to do in this life. But I also am always, even as I'm talking to you today, I'm doing a check in my spirit to go, Lord, I don't want to add to the kingdom of noise for somebody. This is so hard. Right? Because, and I love that you, I loved how you joked. You're like, I don't even listen to my own podcast. And I'm like, but yet your podcast is necessary. But how do we make sure that we're not adding to the kingdom of noise? Like, how do you make sure that your book rises above that and is time well spent? I want this podcast to be redeeming time in somebody's life, too. Yeah, this is a really good question. I really struggle with this, especially in the context of social media, because I think right. out of all the forms of media is the least productive and the one that I want my audience to spend the least amount of time on. Podcasts tend to be much richer. Books tend to be much richer. So here's the deal. There is a need, a desperate need, for gospel-centric content in the world. I say this in the introduction of Redeeming Your Time. My prayer of this book is not that it is just biblically based, but that it is gospel-centric and rooted in who we are in Christ. And Matthew, that's what your content is. That's what your music is. We need more of that quote-unquote noise in the world. But we also need to be telling our audiences, hey, you also need to turn me off. Sometimes, right? You need to be still and hear the most important voice, which is the voice of God. That's critical if we're going to redeem our time for his purposes. One thing I talk about in the book is this idea of not just choosing finite pools of content over infinity pools of content, but also more filtered content. And just to think about how many filters a particular medium has to go through before it's delivered into your ears or in front of your eyes. For example, books, right? Books have to pass through 12 really smart people before you even hear about it. 
and can have an opportunity mm. to purchase it, right? An author's got to decide to write it. An agent has to represent an author. A publisher has to decide to publish it. Five editors have to beat up the manuscript before it's even published. And then your friend has to tell you about it before you actually read it. Compare that to Instagram posts. There's no filter. The only filter is whether or not somebody wanted to post something today. Right? Oh, it's so true. Like, yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. The only filter. No, no, no. There's plenty of filters. It's just all to make the wrinkles go. That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. No, so just like being more oh. judicious. And I'm not just saying just read books, right? But I, I, you know, for me, but- <laughs> that's pretty much the only medium I consume anymore because yeah, I have a really high I- bar for making sure that what noise I allow into my mind is highly filtered. That's a great point. And I think about it like, you know, because we, we've both been through the process of writing books and the amount of people and voices speaking into it and people that we trust. Right. And especially in, you know, in our ministries, like we're, we're working with people who know the Bible. Like I'm working with a guy right now in my book and his knowledge of scripture is inspiring. Right. Or or like if I ever release a song, anybody who knows me knows that my song doesn't go out into the world until my dad, who's been a pastor for 40 years, checks it out. I hadn't really thought about that. Like consider the source is basically what you're saying. Consider and, how filtered the medium yeah. is, right? Like if books are at the top, podcasts is somewhere underneath that, social media is way down the list. Just filters yeah. can be healthy. Like I'm all about yeah. this democratization of information, but there's a dark side to that. And the dark side is that our oh, world gosh. is filled with noise that nobody has filtered. I'd go a step further. There's a stupid side. To it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a dark. There's just yeah. a dumb side this too. Dumb I mean, side. let's yeah. not. Let's yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> what I love to hear is when somebody's passionate about a concept, which anybody listening to this right now can clearly tell. Okay, this guy's passionate about helping people make the most of the one life they get. Like this concept for your book. Your podcast is called "Call to Mastery," which you're implying in everything that you're doing is that look, you don't, most people don't wake up in the morning and they've already mastered the ability to uh, be productive, purposeful and, and all the, all the P's. Right. So can you just talk about maybe the inception? I know this may feel like a little bit of a step back from the premises of the book, but I think it's inspiring for me to hear like, where does someone like yourself have a struggle and then have a breakthrough that leads you to this place where you're getting now you're just you're operating on a whole nother level was there another time where jordan rayner before today's jordan rayner was like wasting time struggling discouraged in the quicksand whatever that may be that led you to this place of new inspiration yeah so i'll back up quite a bit in my story i've always been obsessed with time management i've always felt this um just this need to I wasn't using the terminology, but redeem my time, right? To steward my time really well. Even as a young person? Yeah, as a young person. Like as far back as I can remember is like eighth grade. Like I've just always been a very ambitious. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I was was a weird kid. I'm a weird kid now, but really weird in the eighth grade. (laughs) But I'll say this. Up until for the first five years of my career out of college, those were all selfish aims, right? It was all, my work was all a means of making Jordan look awesome. Like the thing I cared about most in the world, my ultimate thing was how successful everyone around me thought I was. And I thank that, God feeling. for, and by the way, I grew up in the church. I call myself a Christian, but it wasn't until uh, a, a moment about five years into my career where I just realized, and I had accomplished a lot at that point, no amount of professional accomplishment was going to provide that identity. But at the same time, I also rediscovered the biblical narrative of work, right? Which says that, sure, work is not the ultimate thing, but my word, work is one of the most significant ways that we serve the Lord and his purposes in the world. And this is the core of everything I do for the podcast of this book. My mission is to help Christians connect the gospel to their work, to what they do, to why they do it, to how they do it, like this book, Redeeming Your Time, because this has been tragically lost. So many Christ followers are walking around thinking that the only way their work matters to the Lord is if they share the gospel with their coworkers. And don't get me wrong, that's a great thing. We all should be looking for opportunities to do it, but that is far from the only way that our work matters to the Lord and his redemptive purposes in the world. So part of the emphasis for Redeeming Your Time is just a recognition of that, of saying our work matters deeply inside the home, outside the home. Thus, we ought to care about doing it really well, right? Doing it masterfully 
well and redeeming our time in the process. So you grew up in church. You grew up a Christian or in a Christian household. It sounds to me, too, that while you were having this discovery of the way that you're wired, you've always been highly you know, productive or, or seeking to redeem your time without even maybe knowing the vocabulary of it. It sounds to me that while you were discovering your calling, there was a spiritual depth that took place too, right? Where did you have this moment? And, you know, one of the reasons I'm, what I'm getting at is I talk with all of my guests. I ask a question. I, I tell a blue couch story. And for me is I was on a blue couch watching a Billy Graham crusade. And it's just a, a snapshot in my story where I remember where my faith became more than a family connection. It just became real to me. I'm curious if, if you can describe, um, your version of a blue couch story, or maybe there's more than one. Maybe it was as you discovered five years into your career, whatever that may be, where that spiritual turning point helped you then step into, okay, now how do I take the biblical principles that I'm learning and put it into these practices to help other people? Yeah, that was the moment about five years into my career. So I spent the first 10 years of my career as a tech entrepreneur, sold the first one. Second one, we eventually had a happy ending. But at that moment, five years in my career, it did not look like that second venture was going to have a happy ending. It was the okay. first time in my career that I really failed at something. We had raised the venture capital. We were running out of money. I was devastated. It was the only time in my life that I could say I was truly, deeply depressed. And I thank God for that depression in retrospect. Because it caused me to really question what is going on? What am I holding out as this ultimate thing in my heart that is mm, keeping me from joy good. in all circumstances, as Paul says in Philippians 4, right? And by the grace of God, Tim Keller came into my life around this time in his books and content. I read Counterfeit Gods by Keller, read a couple of his other titles, and it helped me understand the gospel at a deeper level than I'd ever understood it. Before I had always thought of the gospel as my fire suit, my one-time salvation, that someday I'm going to heaven, which we can get into that if you want. But at that point, the gospel became my functional salvation of knowing that, listen, regardless of whether, what happens with this venture, if it fails, if it succeeds, my identity, my core worth as a child of God is secure. And that was radical. That was it. That was the moment. Yeah. And there again, like we talked about at the beginning, when you begin operating out of that home base of on my best day, I'm a child of God. And on my worst day, I'm a child of God in my biggest success and my most epic failure. It does not change how God feels about me. I read something about how you always say good night to your uh, children you know, I wrote this down. I thought this was cool. To your kids before bed, I love you no matter how many good things you do, just like Jesus. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Every night before they go to bed, lay them down. Say, Kate, Ellison, Emery's one, so she's not really a part of this, part of the bedtime routine. You know I love you no matter how many good things you do, they nod their heads. You know I love you no matter how many bad things you do, they nod their heads. Who else loves you? Wow. Jesus. Or Kate, my, uh, my four-year-old theological stickler says, God the Father, God the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit loves me like that. I'm like, yes, that's right, Kate. But no, like, yes. we need to hear those same words, simple words spoken over yeah. us and our work and our lives. God loves us no matter how productive we are, no matter how unproductive we are, rest in that love. And again, going back to the American Idol analogy, it's that security that leads us to want to take bigger swings in life because we got nothing to lose. Keller's used this analogy before. It's like a kid at baseball playing Little League. And uh, it's the difference between the kid whose dad is yelling at him to hit a home run and is, and is cursing at the kid because he yeah. did it. And that kid goes to the plate out of fear. We go to the plate with a supportive dad who loves us regardless of whether we hit a home run or strike out. Yeah, but boy, do we want to hit yes. a home run to make that dad proud. That's the difference. My friends, the media is calling it the great resignation. What they're saying is top talent are leaving jobs and droves for better companies. So how do you take advantage of that? With a hiring partner that will help you attract the best people, you need Indeed. Indeed is your go-to hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all 
in one place. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, this is really cool. As soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can even invite them to apply right away. You know, a lot of people think of me as a musician or a songwriter or a podcast host, but all of that also means that I'm a small business owner. And that's why I've loved discovering what Indeed has to offer. With Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. Now, you can get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash West. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash West. Indeed.com slash West. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Do you need a hire? You need Indeed. Today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition really simple. How simple? Well, I've been taking a packet every single day from the tour bus on the road, opening it up, pouring it into a bottle of water, mixing it up and drinking it down. It tastes really good. I feel great. It's made a huge difference and that's why I'm excited to partner with Athletic Greens. AG1 by Athletic Greens, the category leading superfood product, brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everybody. Keeping up with the research, knowing what to do, and taking a bunch of pills and capsules, that's hard on the stomach and it's just hard to keep up with, right? To help each of us be at our best, AG1 by Athletic Greens, they simplify the path to better nutrition by giving you and me the one thing with all the best things. It's one tasty scoop of AG1. It contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more in one convenient daily serving. This special blend of high quality bioavailable ingredients in a scoop of AG1 works together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. If you're like me, you've got some nutritional gaps in your diet. It also helps support energy and focus, aids with gut health and digestion, and support a healthy immune system, which we've all got to be on the lookout for, right? That's got to be super important for all of us right now. So I can't wait for you to join the movement of athletes, lifelights, moms, dads, rookies, first-timers, and everyone in between taking ownership of their daily health and focusing on the nutritional products they really need in the simplest manner possible. That's Essentialist Nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. That's what I use. These little travel packs, they're super convenient. Throw them in my suitcase. You're going to get five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash west today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash west to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. You talk about like we can swing for the fences. In the book, you talk about how we're not making... um, maybe we need to make more epic goals or bigger goals, both as individuals and with our families. Is it, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, are we not dreaming big enough in general as people or, and you know, I want you to unpack that thought. Yeah, I think by and large, no, we're not. And this is all set in the context of chapter four, the fourth principle, which is all about prioritizing our to-do list, right? Jesus did not say yes to everything in the Gospels. Go read Mark chapter one. He prioritized where he spent his time. We got to do the same. And part of how we do that, one of the practices in that chapter is by setting really big, really hairy, really audacious long-term goals. In that section of the book, I outline these five reasons why we as Christ followers ought to be compelled to set bigger goals. You know, number one, Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God has the power to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Man, Matthew, I don't know that I or many other people 
set our goals accordingly. We have the creator God dwelling inside of us. And our goals are like, I don't know, to grow our businesses by 10%. Why, why aren't we expecting <laughs> 10x results, not 10% results? Again, not to make ourselves wealthy. Please don't hear me saying that. It's not what I'm saying, but it's to serve no, more people I, and to advance the yeah. game. So that's number one. Number the, two, yeah, that's big good. goals are paradoxically easier to achieve than small goals. This is something I've learned throughout my whole career. Everybody sets average size goals. So ironically, it's less competitive to go after really, really big goals. Like in my experience, it's easier to raise a million bucks. Yeah, it's easier to raise a million dollars in venture capital than $100,000 in venture capital, right? Number three, big goals make it easier for us to say no to things. It's really easy to say no to requests for our time when we are really inspired and motivated by the big thing we've said yes to. Number four, big goals recruit others to your cause. And then finally, number five, you know, you're unlikely to fail entirely. Uh, Google talks a lot about this. Larry Page, co-founder of Google. It's like the thing that people don't get about taking big swings is you're very unlikely to fail at that big thing entirely. And chances are you're going to make more progress towards your aims if you really swing for the fences, right? It's the old whatever sign hung up in our classrooms in the first grade, shoot for the moon and at least you'll land among the stars, the worst poster ever. But <laughs> yeah. it's true, right? Is there a, with a little kitten? <laughs> with a little kitten, yeah. But here's the thing, as Christ followers, again, coming back to the gospel, we know that even if Man. we fall on our face, at the end of the day, who cares? We're secure in the Father's love. That's why we need to be setting bigger goals. Every single one of those is money in the bank. I love what you just shared. And I think about like, uh, you know, they would sometimes they would say about a certain sports team that like uh, has a habit of playing to the level of their competition. Right. You know, like so the better the team is that they're playing, the more they rise up and show what they're truly capable. They play the last place team. They play as bad as the last place team. Uh, you know, sort of a loose interpretation of what you're talking about when you set that bigger dream. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little upset because you insulted uh, my. My favorite poster that I have on the wall here with 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 the kitten with the kitten that says shoot for the no I'm just kidding but I love that and it's so funny that you say this because literally just last night I'm at the gas station I go back and sit in my car uh, and something had been on my mind all day because I'd been putting off saying no to an invitation I had gotten but I knew the answer had to be no I just am not a no person I struggle I because in my mind like I've always been like and so independent and like that I always dreamed of having all these invitations and now I get them, but I can't do all of them. And so no is, is impossible almost. And last night I sat in my car and I forced myself to send a message that was a no. And as hard as it was to do, I, I just said, Lord, help me say this in love and help them understand and appreciate it. You talk about the importance of, uh, of a generous no. And that's kind of what you've sort of unpacked a little bit. But, you know, to say yes to big things, you've got to say no to some lesser things. How do you decipher between what you should chase after and what you should be okay letting go? This is tough, right? Because in the gospel, again, let's go back to the most productive person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. In the gospels, we see him saying no. See Mark chapter one as one example. But we also see him saying yes, right? Mark chapter 14. Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. He gets in a boat to descent from the kingdom of noise, to get alone with the Lord. And the crowds are following him on the shore. They're running around the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he has compassion on them. And he comes back and he heals their sick. Last thing Jesus wanted to do in that moment was be in a crowd of people. He wanted to be alone. But he said yes. So sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Where does that leave us, right? Leaves us, one, needing a lot of prayer but two, I think we've got to ask really rigorous questions to help us discern when to say yes and when to say no for requests for our times. And in the book, I outline three questions I'd like to ask of, of favors, right? So anytime somebody's asking me for something that's primarily valuable to them, and three questions I love to ask of opportunities, things that are primarily huh. valuable to me. So if it's okay with you, Matthew, I'll, I'll unpack them. Anytime somebody's asking me for a favor, I ask, am I the best person to say yes to this request. Because oftentimes I'm not, if you ask me to come over and help you build a treehouse, like these city hands have no business uh, building a treehouse. Hard pass. <laughs> city, hands. city hands. I got city hands too, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, brothers, there you go. 
So number one, am I the best person to say yes to this request? Number two, is this the most generous use of my time? Matthew, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. If I came to Nashville, it's like, hey, Matthew, I'm in town. Would love to have coffee for an hour. Do you have the time? The most generous thing you can do is not tell me yes. It's to tell me no so that you can spend that hour recording another episode of this podcast that serves thousands of people instead of just me, sure, yeah. right? And then number three, <laughs> I love to ask, would I say yes to 100 similar requests for my time, right? So somebody's asking you, hey, would you meet up for coffee? For better or worse, whether you say yes or no, you're starting to build a habit of how you're going to respond to similar requests in the future. So that's a question I love. So am I the best person? Yeah, is this the most generous use of my time? Would I say yes to 100 similar requests? And then on opportunities, uh, just real quickly, my number one question, going to a conference, whatever the opportunity is, this is a great opportunity for what? We always say, oh man, this is such a great opportunity to go to this conference or speak at this event or whatever. That's not a complete sentence. This is a great, you got to answer the question, what is this a great opportunity for, right? Number two, Okay. Am I trying to do good or make myself look good? A lot of times I say yes to stuff just because I'm trying to look cool and be at the cool kids table, Ouch. right? Yeah, and then the last yeah, one is, yeah. you know, just what will I say no to? Recognizing that we got to say no to something. So you're going to say yeah, say no to this yeah. thing or this other thing. You got to recognize yeah. the trade-off. I want you to listen for a second. Can you hear that sound? You know what that sound is? That's the sound of uh, pens and pencils making notes everywhere everybody listening to what you're saying because this is some good stuff and i got a feeling that your book is going to be the kind of book uh unless somebody's getting it on a kindle uh where where the book has highlighter marks all the way through i know my copy of your book will be uh will be filled with highlighter notes because this is some tangible real life and this is exactly why i was excited to have you on on the show jordan because i think they always say evangelists have like three sermons that they repeat over and over again. And I feel like one of my three messages is the message of what if. Earlier in my career, I had a song called The Motions. It said, I don't want to go through the motions. Another one of my songs was called All In. And it was talking about, I don't want to play it safe because safe is just another word for regret. And here I am now singing, I want to know I got no what. So there's this ache inside of me. And I feel like whenever I write a song that's resonating with other people, I go, okay, other people are feeling that right now as well. Now we've come, we're still coming through this whole COVID season. I hate even saying the word COVID anymore, but it's still, it's still upon us. We're still struggling through this. And I think it's been a season that has reminded us um, among many other lessons we're learning. It's that life is brief. The Bible says life is a vapor, right? It says we're here today. We're gone to tomorrow. The grass withers and the flowers fade. And we feel that. And I feel like we are more face to face with the brevity of our lives now more than ever. And so I think books like yours are for such a time as this. And that's why I was excited to have you. Last thing, I just, I want to know, like when Jordan Rayner thinks about standing before the Lord someday, right? You know, obviously we, we always talk about like hearing God say, well done. You know what I mean? But how much is is that moment of your life, meaning the final moment or the moment where your race is run? How much is that in your mind and in your heart and when it's all said and done what do you hope is said about the way that your time was spent i think about paul's words gosh i think it's in first corinthians paul talks so much in his letters about how hard he worked but my favorite line is he says i strenuously contend with all the energy mm. of christ's power in me Right? He's saying that, hey, my response to the gospel and my Damascus moment is to leave it all on the field, right? To strenuously contend to be fully engaged in this life because I believe that my role as a father, as a husband, as an entrepreneur, a writer, a singer, whatever it is you do, matters for the advancement of the kingdom. So I want to hear the Lord say, you strenuously contend. You did it well, you, did, you rested, right? You didn't burn out but you strenuously contended and worked till the end for my glory and the good of others. 
someday, man, you'll you'll get to see the full extent of, and how many people will be able to say, you know what, Jordan, thank you because your journey and your inspiration helped me to really learn how to redeem my time. Helped in some, I mean, I just love the thought that somebody starting with me might make the hard decision of not falling into the quicksand and the kingdom of noise, which is social media or the news, just these practical steps that you're helping people take to make the most and redeem their time. I'm going to return to the subtitle of your book, Redeeming Your Time. It's the seven biblical principles for being purposeful, present and wildly productive. Anybody listening to this has a heartbeat that says, oh, I want that. I want people to look at my life and say, that's how I did it. You know what I mean? So I just want to thank you so much for for sharing your heart and unpacking some of these awesome bits of wisdom in your book. And uh, we're going to post a link to the book. Hey, Jordan, you're awesome, man. Yeah, man. Well, dude, Matthew, you're, you're a great host. You're a very generous host. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House is in honor of the release of my brand new Christmas album that just came out on October 29th. Now, hopefully you're not against listening to at least a little bit of one Christmas song before Thanksgiving. Come on, people. Open your hearts. This is We Need Christmas. Lights that twinkle red and green Charlie Brown on the TV screen Hugs from friends and family That's what we need right now Zipping up a winter coat Truck tires on a snowy road That's the sound of coming home And that's what we need right now This world could use a little healing And our hearts could show you something to believe in We Gosh, I love writing songs. (laughs) I know that probably goes without saying because I've written a whole bunch of songs in my career, but I love writing Christmas songs. I love the classics, don't get me wrong, and there's plenty of classics featured on the We Need Christmas album, but uh, there's just something special about sitting down and, and trying to write a new classic, you know? And it's pretty intimidating, too, because there's so many great classic Christmas songs, but Man, it does not take much for me to get into those those warm, fuzzy feelings when I think about my family, what I think about what Christmas means to me. Listen to this second verse. It, it paints a little picture of, you know, it, like that other song. These are a few of my favorite things. Check it out. Singing carols in the living room. That's grandma's favorite thing to do. And grandpa reads Luke chapter two. That's what it's all about. It's a red salvation army camp It's reaching out a helping hand And looking after our fellow man That's what we need right now You know, I'm sure you can agree with me when I say these past couple of years have felt like peace is in short supply Hope has been hard to find Love and joy, they've been lost for so many Christmas is a time when our hearts can be powerfully reminded that the peace, hope, love, and joy that we all need, that we're desperate for, can still be found in a Savior. When this song says we need Christmas, what I'm really saying is we need Jesus. This lost and hurting world is in desperate need of a Savior. And this Christmas, we can celebrate that our Savior loved us enough to leave the splendor of heaven to come down to this broken earth to shine a light, and to lead the way for all of us to come home. You know, as you listen to this song, We Need Christmas, and as you listen to the Christmas album, I hope it inspires you to think about somebody around you or ask God to help you see 
through his eyes, a world that needs to see Christmas, that needs to see Jesus. And may they see Jesus in you. Find somebody who needs Christmas and bring Christmas to them, right? Show them the love of Jesus. Oh, thanks for letting me. Thanks for indulging me. All right. You guys are the best podcast listeners uh, as if you had a choice. I guess you could have turned it off, but here we are in November and I'm showcasing We Need Christmas. Here's just a little bit more of the song, and then be sure to go check out the music video for this song. We had so much fun, snow machines and all. We created a winter wonderland inside of a dingy warehouse, and uh, I got to dress up in a tuxedo. The band cleaned up real good. Go to check it out on YouTube. Just type in We Need Christmas or go to my official YouTube page. And uh, man, if you can't tell already, I'm already in the Christmas spirit. He's my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this last segment of every show on the Matthew West podcast is called Dad Vice. He is my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, close us out today with some dad advice. All right, uh, Matthew, I'm going to talk about what if I see the benefits of digging deeper into God's Word. Of course, we're always challenged as a Christ follower to be in God's Word, but the benefits of being in it just motivate you and give you incentive to spend time in the Word of God. So we want to look at some benefits. Number one, it builds our faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight or feeling. So that's why we need God's word in our hearts. A lot of times we depend on feelings and they're, they're just not there. But by faith, we'll continue to serve God. And how do we do that? We got to be in God's word. Secondly, digging deeper into God's word helps us to know God and his promises. 50 times the word promise mentioned is mentioned in the Bible, and according to one scholar, there are 3,573 promises in God's Word. We used to sing an old hymn as a little kid, Standing on the Promises of God, and that's standing, what we need to do. Standing, yes, yes. Uh, and then thirdly, it keeps us in the truth. Digging deeper into God's Word keeps us in the truth. John mm. 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yep. And then number four, it helps us win in spiritual battle, in spiritual warfare. We fight the enemy with God's word. We do not battle against flesh and blood, yeah. but against enemies, against uh, powers in high places. And here's what Ephesians six seventeen says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I like this quote. Fill your mind with God's Word, and you'll have no room for the enemy's lies. The enemy cannot defeat us today. And, of course, the devil wants to knock us all down spiritually. He wants to destroy our families and so many other things. But when we're in God's Word, we have victory for ourselves, for our families, and for those around us. Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous. So the challenge is, is to get into God's word and dig deeper. And I want to end with Billy Graham's quote. Every time I read the Bible, any part of the Bible, I don't care where I open it up. It speaks to me. It's a living book. So here's a challenge. What if you dig deeper today and every day? into God's Word. I think you'll be glad that you did, and uh, thanks for that reminder, Dad. I appreciate it. 
All right, that's our show for today. I want to thank my guest, Jordan Rayner, for joining me. You can pick up a copy of his latest book, Redeeming Your Time. We will post a link at the official podcast page, which you should know by now is matthewwest.com slash podcast. Be sure to check it out and uh, maybe put it on your Christmas list or or buy one for uh, a friend who you know uh, could use the encouragement. You know, this is a book that, as he talked about, is it's seven biblical principles for helping us to be more purposeful, present, and wildly productive in life. I think that's a recipe for living a know-what-if life. So thanks for Jordan joining me today. I also want to thank my dad, as always. Great segment with Dad Vice. Uh, one last reminder that our ministry, Pop We, is working this Thanksgiving to give a gobble-gobble away. And so we want to encourage you to join us. $35 feeds a whole family for one month. We are partnering with an organization that's already on the front lines, but we want the listeners of this podcast to uh, step up and and give big. So if you can go to popweed.org and click the donate, the orange donate button, you can give a gobble away and help feed somebody in need of a meal this Thanksgiving. And it's going to feel good to be about a cause greater than ourselves. Also, if you want to sign up to receive a free weekly devotional, our ministry pop, we would love to include you amongst the thousands of people around the world who are already receiving this weekly inspirational devo that, that I write every week. And it's just a little quiet time for you to spend some time with Jesus, just like I hope each podcast episode does these email devos. We call them day one devos. Hopefully they'll encourage you, bring you closer to the God who loves you and the God who has a plan for you. And if you want to discover his plan for you, just like Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so in every at every turn, whether it's a song I write, a podcast episode, or these weekly devos our ministry sends out, we want to keep reminding you, spend time with Jesus, seek him with all your heart, and that's how you'll discover his best plan for your life. And speaking of your life, remember, how do we always end every episode? By reminding each other that it's your story for his glory. Love you guys. Have a great week. And I'll see you right back here next week on the Matthew West Podcast. Seriously, I, I, I do.